Hi there, my name's Mike, and I'm one of the co-founders of Riddle.com. And in this episode of The Quizmakers, I am going to be interviewing or chatting with my co-founder, Boris Pfeiffer. Hey there, Mike. <laughs> hey, Boris, welcome back. Yeah, and so in this episode, you know, Boris, you and I were chatting that, you know, since we started The Quizmakers podcast, you know, we do get a lot of questions from people who are interested in using quizzes for marketing, but just, you know, kind of just some of the basic fundamental best practices. Be happy to answer these. And they're not just from, you know, feedback to our podcast. We also, Mike and I, man our tech support chat on riddle.com. We, interesting fact, we, um, despite the fact that we have thousands and thousands of users, we never hired a customer support team because we believe that if the founders and the lead engineers help in customer support, you end up getting a much better product. And it's been hard on us, but I think worse it might. Absolutely. Yeah, it's sometimes we might be at the pub having a beer, support chat ring, we quickly answer it. So it does, it distracts us, but the number of positive feedback we got from users and also just great questions about, oh, we should, these are features we should add. Anyways, that's enough of Riddle. Let's go talk about quizzes and marketing and all that good stuff. So I'm just going to work through our list. We just kind of came up with the top 10 questions. One of the most common questions I've seen, Boris, is, okay, I want to make a quiz for marketing. I want to collect leads. What's the ideal number of questions to have in a quiz? That's kind of easy to determine. And it depends on how complicated these questions are and how easy to answer, for one, because you want to keep the quiz under two and a half or three minutes to answer. That's about the, the most time people have attention span for on the internet, unless you're doing a scientific research type of quiz. So if you're doing a medical quiz saying, you know, do you suffer from anxiety? Um, are you burned out? People may be much more interested in that result and be willing to spend 10 or 20 minutes. Yes. Then if you're saying, what, what city should you live in? So fun and entertaining quiz. Yes. But a good guideline around 10 questions is an ideal number. Plus or minus, if you're doing a personality test, sometimes you need a few more to score it properly. But definitely try to stay under 15 is my guideline. We've seen yeah. much larger quizzes, but we don't think they work that well. No, it's true. Um, I, I would actually, I mean, I would say eight to 10. And a good way to test this is once you've finished your quiz, just ask your Aunt Sally or your Uncle Bob to take the quiz and just time them. Because if you take it again, you'll know the questions. So you'll, you'll be much faster. You want someone completely new to the quiz, just say, hey, how long did that take? And if they come back and say, oh, it took me about six minutes, then you say, okay, we might want to shorten it down. Exactly. Okay, that leads into the next question. We've covered questions. How many answers should you have per question? I would say four answer options is what people expect to have. There's a benefit in having four. If you use images, for example, it makes a nice grid for the answer options. Uh, but four is sort of what you see in most common multiple choice tests and quizzes is one correct and three wrong ones. So I would always try to stick to four if possible. Yes, no, I, I absolutely agree. And there's another benefit as well. If 50 to 60% of your quiz takers will be on a smartphone, the fewer answer options you have, the more condensed your quiz will be. and It'll stand nice, nicely on one screen. 
you start getting six to eight to 10 answer options, you people might need to scroll a bit. Okay, uh, next question. So should we use images in a quiz or should we stick to text only questions and answers? I would always try to mix it up, have image questions followed by text questions and then throw in another image question. It makes it a lot more interesting than just text. It may not be suitable for all quiz types, but if you can, you know, in your eight to 10 questions, try to have at least one or two image-based questions in there. Yeah, no, definitely. And if you want, I mean, I would actually probably go 50-50 and then of the images, maybe add a couple of, you know, GIFs or a video clip or just something to mix it up and add some energy and animation beyond just static images. But again, it depends on the subject. If it's a very serious topic, you might want to avoid that. Okay, um, <laughs> this is a very popular question we get. Um, how do you write a good quiz title? This is probably the hardest thing to do when writing a quiz. Where if you're doing this right, you're gonna spend as much time finding a good title than writing the rest of the quiz. And the title is the most important thing because it's what you see when people share the quiz on social media. It's on the page where you embed the quiz. It gets people to click and start the quiz. So you have to get them hooked and into the quiz. It's like the cover of a book. You know, when you're looking at a bookstore, what jumps out at you? And we're not supposed to judge books by their covers, but we all do. So it needs to have a, a good image and a great title. One thing was titles, make them personal. So use the word you in the title, for example. And if you're doing quizzes or about interesting facts or lists, try to use odd numbers. Uh, there's been lots of experiments and, and white papers written that odd numbers work better than even numbers. So instead of saying, which of these six countries should you spend the rest of your life in, use seven. Um, or explore, you know, the the seven most popular um, holiday vacation spots works a lot better than explore the six most popular. Yeah. I honestly can't explain the science behind it, but that's a, a common knowledge. No, it definitely it definitely works. Um, the other one is there. Are people have a tendency to say top ten, top ten reasons to do this, top ten reasons, and I think people are just they just kind of tune out. But by seven, you know, seven, nine, 13 things you didn't know about the Apple iPhone, whatever, that just seems non a bit like more genuine. And people go, wow, that must be really interesting. Um, well researched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing is um, the word you. So, you know, example, like instead of, you know, the dream city quiz. It's like, what city should you live in? That's not it's still not a great title, but just adding the word you like you mentioned just makes it more personal. And there's one other trick too, is you can challenge your audience. So instead of just saying, oh, here's the Harry Potter quiz, then we add the word you, how much do you know about Harry Potter? That's okay. But then you can say, how much do you actually, or how much do you really know about Harry Potter? Just that one emotionally charged word, again, just has a big impact. And it's, 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 it's human psychology. Who knows what's going on? Um, the last thing I would say is keep everything short under, I think 60 to 65 characters is your ideal target. 
And another good advice, and you, you probably see this in a lot of ads for video games on your phone, underneath the how much do you actually know about Harry Potter, you could put a little byline saying 80% of quiz takers fail to get 100%, something like that. Or yes. only 2% of quiz takers answer everything correctly. And you see this in a lot of in-game ads where, where they say there's a puzzle and hardly anyone can solve this. Yeah. It challenges people and say, well, I'm going to be one of these 2% that gets everything correct. Yes. And then they'll share it because they're so happy. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, next. Okay, so if you are using quizzes for collecting leads and potential customers, and they are brilliant at that, and we've talked about that ad nauseum, um, how many fields should you put into a lead generation form? As few as you possibly can is always the best answer. Um, don't go overboard. Again, it depends on the type of quiz. And I think we'll, we'll talk about this in the follow-up question, what are the best quiz types? But the more involved your users are by your quiz, the more you can probably ask for. But ideally, if you can get by with just name and email, just ask for name and email. And remember, if you like, you can collect, you can store all the quiz data along with the lead. So if you're smart in asking the questions, maybe you can find out through very smart questions, things that you otherwise would put into the form. So you don't have to collect that much. For yes. example, let's say for whatever you do in marketing, it's really important that you know if someone's under 20 or over 50. And those are the two brackets you really care about. Now, you could easily put a drop down into the lead form. How old are you? And people may not really want to answer that, but you could also have a question in there, you know, that says, um, have you ever used TikTok? Chances that someone over 60 says yes are very low. Someone under 20, very high. So you could use that question to determine the age range. And there may be other, you know, depending on what you want to ask, you, you can probably come up with a good quiz question to find out things. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And one thing to avoid if you're working for a, you know, any uh, medium to large company, if you are collaborating with other departments, they will often want to add lots of questions. So legal might want to put in five checkboxes saying, yes, I agree to this. Yes, I agree to uh, marketing might want to have an extra five fields for consumer research. Try and fight that as much as you can because uh, your conversion rates will drop dramatically. Okay, so let's transition. You mentioned it already, but um, speaking of leads, what is the best type of quizzes for generating leads? The, the highest conversion rates will always be in quizzes that get people the most involved, and these are personality tests. Because a personality test is all about you. You don't have to prove anything like you do in a quiz. You do the test because you want to find out something about yourself. Like, what kind of dog are you? What type of dog are you? We talked about that in the, one of the previous episodes. You're not doing this to tell someone else what type of dog you are. You want to find out for yourself. And because you're involved, filling out that form, which is just another question after a couple of minutes of quiz taking, has such a much higher chance to be filled out. If you do a quiz, the one you mentioned, Mike, you know, quizzes that challenge you, like how much you really know about Harry Potter, they may also have a better chance than 
you know, something that doesn't really challenge you, that's light and fluffy. Um, that would be my suggestion. The highest lead conversions in personality tests or in really challenging hard quizzes where people, you know, really want to know how they how they ended up and you could promise them on the lead form that you send them all the answer explanations in a follow-up email, which is something we support at Riddle. Then you will also yep. have a good chance. Yes, because then, yeah, because then people are saying, okay, I've taken this quiz. I'm going to get something of value. I'm going to get all the quiz answers. That's awesome, especially if it's a really challenging quiz. That's brilliant. Um, okay, let's transition slightly. So quizzes and personality tests are some of the best converting formats. One question we are often asked is, well, what about opinion polls? Because many publishers, many businesses will use opinion polls in their content just to get people's opinions off. <laughs> like, the, like the name says, are they good for gathering leads? To an extent, their people are not that involved. So your CTA needs to be super strong. Your call to action needs to be super strong. Why should someone fill out the form? So promising them to send them like the poll results after the poll is over, if it's a, a very engaging poll, could be interesting. It would have to be a poll that really captures their interest and where they totally want to know what other people think. So let's say you're, you're running, uh, you know, a, an exchange, a crypto exchange or currency exchange, and you have professional traders and you're asking for opinions. What do you think? Where do you think the Bitcoin is going to be a month from now? As a trader, I would be super interested in hearing what the other thousands of traders that take the poll think. You know, it would give me a good snapshot. And yes, I would leave my email if you promise to send me the poll results from another thousand traders. Yes. If it's something, do you think it's going to rain tonight? That may be light and fluffy and people can click on it if there's a soccer game going on that everyone in my city wants to go to. But I'm not going to be interested in getting an email with these results because I can just wait for tonight and I'll see if it rains or not. The one benefit of polls, though, is that because they're so easy to create, if you use polls in a lot of your longer form content, even if the polls don't convert as well, they're so easy to make that... You know, even if you only get five or ten percent, which for us is actually pretty low, even though it's very good for the online you know sector, um, you know that's still not bad. So definitely, you know, polls polls do have a place in lead generation, as you mentioned. Okay, so when people are creating quizzes, you know, they six to eight, six to ten questions. When they get to the end, they need to assign personality or overall quiz results. Hey, you're this, or wow, you got X out of Y questions right, you're this. How many different quiz results do you recommend? I think four is, again, a really good number, as was the answer options. <laughs> four works really well. It works well for quizzes. If you just do two, like you did really good, you did really bad, that's often too easy, especially with 10 questions. Uh, people will too easily fall into a low category. Three is kind of weird to set it up in thirds. And four, you know, you get the top 25%, the bottom 25%, and um, the medium high, medium low people in a quiz. So I like four for quizzes, for personality tests, four to five, but don't go over that. Because remember, you, personality tests assign 
points to a personality based on the answer option chosen. So you need to have enough questions and answer options so every personality has a chance to get enough points to win. So if you do more than four or five, you're going to have to write 20 questions with yeah. four or five answer options, yeah. and the quiz will be horrible or the test. Yeah. Again, unless it's a scientific test and people are taking it for a different reason because they, they have a problem that they want to solve, then they're going to sit through a long test. But for the lighthearted, you know, entertaining tests for results usually work really well. And it's also coming up with good personality results. It's not easy. <laughs> and, you know, with four, you can have the, you know, you can work off the ocean types, which is really five results. But if you just go, you know, we have the, the introverted, we have the extroverted. So that now you have two extremes and then you kind of do two in the middle. You're going to do quite fine. Okay. No, that's perfect. And the other thing about four, you know, four to five uh, quiz results, there's enough variety that when people share it on social, their friends aren't all going to get the same results. So there's enough variety to saying, oh, I'm this, or well, you're that. If everyone gets very similar results, that's going to kill your virality and people are just going to just not be as impressed with your quiz. Um, we actually had two more questions, but because we like to keep our podcast quite short and punchy and to the point, we're going to hold off on those. We might bring this back in another Q&A session. If you have any questions of your own, we please let, let us know on Twitter. You can also, because we're at riddle.com, you can also just go to Riddle and ask on our support chat. And we're always happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Boris, for your time as always. And uh, yeah. We'll look to pick this up with our next episode.